Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. Hello and welcome to Family Bridges The Struggle is Real, a podcast for millennial parents. Now this time with a special series, Relationship Talk, brought to you all the way from the 2017 NARMI Summit in Denver, Colorado. I'm Veronica Avila and with me is my co-host Omar Ramos. Hello, Omar. Hello, Veronica. Great to be here in Denver. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for uh, having me out here and welcome everyone that's joining us. Uh, also, we have our resident expert, Dr. Alicia Laos, clinical psychologist, CEO of Family Bridges, and author of The Struggle is Real. Welcome, doctor. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And we also have a very special guest with us. He is a research professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Denver, author of the popular blog, Sliding Versus Deciding. He's a relationship expert on marriage and cohabitation who has appeared on USC Today, Psychology Today, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and many others. Shows such as 2020, the Today Show, CNN, and Fox News. He has authored and co-authored many books, including Fighting for Your Marriage, The Power of Commitment, and A Lasting Promise. Please welcome Dr. Scott Stanley. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And we're glad to have you here. Creator of a couple of curriculums like Prep and Within My Reach, the ones that we're really familiar with at Family Bridges. So thank you for being here. Oh, again. that's wonderful. Thank you. Let's talk about romantic relationships. But before we do that, I have a question for you. Do you remember the first time that you fell in love or so you thought? Yes, it was just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, over it, it. Yeah, yeah, well, at least it feels that way. Yeah, for sure. I think it was like uh, seventh grade for me. Mm -hmm. Valentine's Day. Her name was Jill Weatherby. And she had the most beautiful braces and everything and Aww. freckled face and everything. And I felt something I had never felt before. And I was like, is this love? But I, I just felt that those uh, butterflies in the stomach for the first time. So for me, it happened in seventh grade, Joe Weatherby, she never spoke to me because I was a farm boy. So that was, it wasn't cool to date farm boys back then. So, Aww. Yeah, yeah. So I carry that weight with it me is my cool whole now, life. Though. It's, it it's, is cool it's now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they make a lot of money. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's become cool. <laughs> Do you remember? I actually, I think the first time I fell in love was actually with my husband. Really? But I was in high wow. school. We, dated. we were high school sweethearts. You know, That's you just awesome. kind of remember the first time he touched my hand and you feel the, you know, yeah. The butterflies. The butterflies. The butterflies. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I remember when I fell in love, it was funny because I thought I would see fireworks and all this. I'm a romantic. It never happened that way. Can I guess what it was? Was it Joy McIntyre from New Kids on the Block? <laughs> I'm just wondering. <laughs> that was the because I know you're a big one. fan. I know you're. I a big am fan. a fan. That was more of the of the platonic. <laughs> got it. Got one. it. Got but it. that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. What is love and what is infatuation? So we're going to go ahead and we are going to listen to a skit. But before that, Omar, Doctor Scott, you created the concept sliding versus deciding. Can you tell us what sliding versus deciding is? I the, probably can. So let the me, dynamic. Let yeah, me, talk yeah. to us about me, the dynamic for sure. Let me take a shot at it. So this comes out of some research that a number of studies we've done now, me and especially my colleague Galena Rhodes and also with my colleague uh, Howard Markman. We're really looking at what it means for people to live together before marriage, you know, because it's so popular mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. and trying to explain or understand better why so many people believe that living together before marriage is going to really kind of give them a leg up in marriage, but uh, research has pretty much never shown that, and it used to mostly show that it was actually associated with not doing so well in marriage. Mm. 
And at the end of the day, I mean, one of the most important ideas that comes out of that work is that one of the things that we think happens there is that people don't realize that they're about to make it harder to break up. So some people kind of get stuck in a place where they didn't sort of imagine there was a downside because all, you know, people only hear an upside. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to learn more and see if you're compatible. And then the other thing, and, and some of this comes out of, of some work by an Australian researcher, Joe Lindsay, and then uh, Wendy Manning and Pam Smock, some sociologists in this country, became really clear that not only... There are some issues related to cohabitation, but people tend to slide into it. You know, some people do, but on average, people don't talk about it, discuss it. What's this mean? Does this mean we're getting married? Does this mean we're having a future? What's this mean to you? People tend to, because I think the rampant ambiguity in relationships today, mm -hmm. people tend to not want to push those discussions. And then they can end up in a relationship where they've essentially made it harder. They've slid into a relationship where they've made it harder to break up before they really decided what they wanted. And so that's the essence of the sliding part. And deciding is a fundamental part of commitment. You know, when you make a commitment, you're making a decision. So the, the phrase really is contrasting, just sort of letting something happen to you versus really deciding and committing to what's going on in a relationship. You know, I've always wondered if the stats, unfortunately, because I've worked with uh, divorce lawyers in the past, and it seems like it's a very profitable business. Do you think people are just afraid of getting married and then getting divorced right away? That's why they just prefer to live with someone? I think there's a First. lot. I think there's a lot of reasons why people yeah. prefer ambiguity now. And and by the way, you know, I mean prefer cohabitation now. Mm -hmm. Think about this. I think you're all at least nearly old enough to remember this. People that started living together like 20 years ago, you kind of knew they were planning to get married. Mm -hmm. That was sort of part of it. It kind of meant that. Yeah. And now it's become more part of dating. I call it cohabitating now because more people that live together are going to break up than ever marry. So they're kind of at some point making it harder to break up, but they still break up a lot and they don't end up in marriage. And I think some people, they kind of figure out after they're in it for a while, I'm sort of stuck. Mm. But some of those people will go on and just the inertia of it carries on. They may end up marrying that person. They may end up not marrying, but they have a child. And then let me say one other thing that's really important. That partly, we also just have a culture now that where a lot of young people are actually just afraid of marriage. Yeah. You know, they're afraid of commitment and they're afraid that that means we're going to doom our relationship or that we're going to get stuck. So they are often doing things that can kind of create the same problem and getting stuck and making it harder to move on by having a child, living mm -hmm. together, etc., just without the marriage. So marriage is kind of getting less and less something that people want to do, I think partly because of fear that it won't work out. That's a big one, and it's probably based on past experiences or what they see around them. Exactly. Well, why don't we go into our first skit? We're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to listen to this. It's called Bunny Buddies. Hey, Jeffrey. Ah, what's up, Ralph? You want some of my carrot? So, I was just on the other side of the cage, by the place where we get water? Ah, the water bottle. Yeah, and, uh... I love that place. Right, well, uh... I wish the water came out a little faster, though. You know, it makes my tongue work so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jeffrey, shush, okay? Listen to me. Careful, don't yell at me. We're bunnies. We have giant ears. Jeffrey? I'm in love. What do you mean you're in love? At the water, I saw Kendall, and I don't know, I just felt this urge to have like 40 babies with her. Ralph Jr., Ralph III, Gene Ralphio, Ralphio Maggio. Whoa, 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 40 babies? I mean, you haven't even grown into your feet yet. 
Yeah, but it's something about her. I mean, I look at her and I just start hopping. Hey, hey, stop that. Stop that. Quit hopping around. It's freaking me out. Come on, Jeffrey. Don't worry. Be happy. Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. Have you ever even spoken to Kendall? Well, why is that important? I'm trying to say you don't really know Kendall. You just... Uh, you're, you're letting your hormones rule you. Hormones? Yeah. You know how when you're hungry and you need to eat? Mm-hmm. Hormones are like the same thing, but for babies. Well, I, 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 I don't understand. It's all right. I'll explain. You see, we're all made up of, like, chemicals and stuff. Ew. Gross. No, no, no. Ugh. Calm down. It's not like they're nuclear waste or anything. Or maybe yours are. Oh, I bet I have love chemicals. They're all like pink and red and rosy. No, 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 no. You don't understand. It's it's not necessarily love. Hey, okay, she makes my heart go boom, boom, and my feet go thump, thump. She's the love of my life, and we're going to have 50 babies. <laughs> I thought it was 40 babies. Well, times change. Look, you got to get your chemicals under control, Ralph. They can get you carried away. How old are you? I'm 14 months. Well, I'm 20 months. You're still a teenager. I remember my chemicals were crazy when I was a teenager. What? Crazy? I I don't want to be crazy, Jeffrey. You're not crazy. You're just hormonal. I don't want to be hormonal. Well, you just have to get in harmony with your hormones. Just try to use your head when you're talking to Kendall. I would start by just talking to her. About our babies. Hmm. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, breathe. Breathe with me. Very good. Really, I would recommend talking about anything but your babies. See if you like her and then maybe... Babies. Take a breath. See this carrot? Oh, eat this carrot. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Take your num-nums. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, good carrot. Yes. Is this of the baby variety? Uh, I believe it's just of the carrot variety. I love babies. <laughs> ah. All right. Well, that was different. That's the first time we've had cartoons on this podcast. <laughs> I guess our writers really got creative. creative on this one. Animated. But the whole idea here is to talk about infatuation and the hormonal uh, ups and downs and kind of going with the emotion of the moment. Would that be something that uh, we would see in in teens? Is that what sliding would mean? I think you can see this with everybody. So Mm -hmm. let's start with that question. Uh, And sure, so teens are having a gigantic hormonal sort of upheaval. And there's uh, obviously a lot of other kinds of immaturity, lack of sort of maturity about decisions and all. But if you talk to an older person, say a really old person, like a 50 or a 60 or a 70 year old, (laughs) you know, when they've fallen in love, they sort of talk the same way. It may not be as intense in terms of the kid, but I think everybody who's ever fallen in love in the way that we're talking about here really had that sort of wave come over them, understands that there's this thing that sort of overtakes people. And it's filled with the the experience is filled with certain kinds of chemicals that are uh, underlie that. As parents, how do we help our kids identify what infatuation would be and what love really is? Well, I think when you talk about love in the context of that question, because everybody uses, I mean, that's one of the problems with the word love, Mm -hmm. right? Is it's like, well, it could mean this, it could mean this. 
And I think people feel in love when they have all these kind of chemicals just rolling because there's so much excitement. There's so much pleasure in that feeling of love. Plus there's desperation too. Of course. Remember that. So I think what a parent would be trying to distinguish or helping a teen to understand is that when you're looking for somebody to love in your life, that that's love in a bigger way. It's about commitment. If it's going to last, it's going to include compatibility, you know, figuring out who you are, where you're headed in the future, and whether you can really commit to this person and whether they can commit to you. That's a big part that a lot of people Mm -hmm. sort of don't look at. And I think it's okay for parents to sort of explain to people, if they have a teenager that's really open to listening to this, that the chemical part is fleeting and you can't, make that just be the basis of the relationship. But at the beginning, it like takes over everything and it blinds you. I mean, it really does. You can not see stuff you should see and you can see stuff that's not there because the chemistry is really powerful. Can you talk a little bit about that chemistry? Because it's pretty fascinating, some of the research that's out there in terms of the neuroscience and the chemicals of love. Yeah, and this is an area where there's better research all the time. And what people will do, they'll do things like take blood levels or they, you know, they've studied the neurochemistry of the brain to sort of figure out what's going on. And some of the chemicals that are involved here in this rush of falling in love and sort of being head over heels. Uh, one is uh, adrenaline or, and norepinephrine. They're sort of in the same category. And that's most closely related to sort of like the excitement and the energy, the euphoria that you feel. Right along in there with the euphoria is dopamine, which is really the major chemical in your brain, as I understand it, that's involved with feeling high, you know, feeling on top of the world and feeling amazing. Serotonin is in the mix in an interesting way because it's the chemical that sort of gets lower when people are falling in love, as I understand it. Serotonin is related to like obsessiveness and other Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So when people are feeling really obsessed and like they can't stop thinking with somebody, you know, about somebody. It's like a, a compulsion. I want to have 50 babies, 40 babies, <laughs> 60 babies, you know, 15 minutes later in that conversation. That's like this obsession that sort of takes over. And that's because the serotonin level tends to be depressed. And then last, and really one of my favorite to sort of think about, and it's a little bit different in the mix is oxytocin, which is more complicated than most all of us usually talk about, but it is kind of the major chemical of attachment and sort mm-hmm. of bonding. So as a relationship continues over time, you know, there's a lot of oxytocin released in like physical touch and just feeling really connected to a person. And that does seem to really push people towards starting to feel bonded and like they can trust this person. Thank you, doctor. And, you know, it seems like nowadays uh, some parents take it upon themselves to expose their kids to technology because they want their kids when they get older to be tech savvy so they could be ready for whatever comes at them. But my question is, Sometimes it seems like some parents don't know when to talk to their kids about uh, relationships. Like, what? how do I confront them? Like, they can put a cell phone and, hey, you know, this is how you use it at three, four years, five years of age. But when it comes to when is the adequate age to talk to your kids about their future romantic relationships and how they can guide them so they can be successful? The irony, right? I mean... They don't have an issue with technology, but when it comes to talking about future love relationships, like when do you start? When do you sit down and talk to them about it? I think it's a great question, and I think it would depend somewhat on the child and the parent. But I think a lot of parents struggle with the very thing that you're raising because people vary a lot in how well they understand their 
phone, <laughs> right? And, and is it iOS or Android? And well, how do you do that? Why is it doing this? You know, and usually everybody like has that one expert in the family or their neighborhood or whatever that they call up and try to figure out what to do. I love this metaphor because it's, I think people have less of a sense of, well, who's that person that you go to when you're not sure about a relationship or love? You know, people feel very vulnerable. Sometimes people are sort of embarrassed about their own history. Mm-hmm. And I, I can imagine that it's quite difficult for a parent. Well, I'm a parent. I can really imagine. <laughs> it's it's pretty difficult to talk with these things with your children because you don't know quite what to say. And it is, for most people, I think it's an awkward conversation because it's dealing with the heart and with deeper desires and things that that make people feel vulnerable. So parents avoid it and kids avoid it. Now, on your specific question, a lot of experts have said over the years, and this makes a lot of sense to me, which requires a parent or two parents together to really be thinking about this, is sometimes parents are trying to answer questions for children if they even are attempting this that the children don't have yet. There's like a, a need to be sensitive to the what's your child actually doing right now? What are what do you think the questions are based on what you can hear around the edges, what you can overhear if they're in the car and you're driving them to school, but they're with their friend? You know, what what do you hear and how do you make yourself part of that, not that conversation with their friend, but sometime when you have the child alone, you know, how do you just like raise something kind of casually at the right timing? And so to me, the kind of the most important advice is for the parents to be listening carefully to what's actually on the child's mind right now. What might they be thinking and wondering about? And then looking for just my own style is looking for just the little moment you can like throw something in as opposed to let's sit down and have the talk. Yeah. And then in six <laughs> months, we're going to have another the talk because you'll be at a different, you know, mm-hmm. not a lot of kids are real up for that. Yeah. yeah. And if you allow me, I just want to add something to this. And this happened to me in my personal experience. My daughter's mother reached out to me randomly one day. She said, you know what? Eliani was talking about boys today. And I'm like, <gasps> what? <laughs> She's 11. And I, and I had no idea. I was thinking that maybe we'd have this conversation when she was 14 or 15 years old. What do you mean? Or 32. No. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe like, even 60, on. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, at my deathbed or something, you know? Or, right, right. But uh, it, it just, you, you just, yeah. uh, exactly. You just, you, you really never know. So is that when those kind of signals arise? Is that when you're supposed to kind of casually mention it to her? Hey, I heard your mom mention something like this. Do you want to? talk to him about it i think those, what's his name no i think i think <laughs> those he? i think those are really that's what you want a parent to try to do is to be aware when those moments are going by and that that was a moment right there and by the way i mean every parent knows this because this is true of all of our most important relationships those moments only happen if you have some time together exactly you know if yeah. you're not having any kind of time together you don't get any of those moments which means you're having to force something right yeah. exactly to push something in and it's much better if you sort of like wait for that moment to happen and then gosh I don't know what parent can't relate to this you know a lot of times you think of the best little thing you could have dropped in there a half hour later right well they're gone you know they're talking on the phone with their friend or whatever but I think what that speaks to is if parents would be just thinking more about 
maybe what are three or four essentials? You know, what are things you really would like to say to your child at some point? And what would you like to reinforce? And then looking for little ways to just yeah. drop something mm -hmm. in on those when you have a moment in those spontaneous conversations. Well, even, you know, just thinking of, I have young kids, but, you know, what do they watch? Pixar and Disney movies. And they're full of romantic relationships. And what do we do? Oh, cover up your eyes when so-and-so, you know, kissing scene yeah. happens. Well, those are the little moments that we, I think we can grab on and, and teach that one or two. I think it's great. And I think for a parent to be thinking, well, what could you say? I mean, okay, let's take a, a Disney princess thing mm -hmm. kind of happening, yeah. right? Okay, there's some drama, there's some tension, and there's some resolution. I actually, even just sitting here right now, you know, I think about this stuff all the time. What could you say, like, somewhere after the, you know, if mm -hmm. people are, like, talking about, hey, well, you know, you, do you think the intensity of what they had there at the end, do you think it'll be that way for their whole life? Or what do you think, what would be real? Uh, real. Yeah. yeah, that might be a kind of a moment, Boy, it's hard to figure out that when your kid's going to be right. taller. But yeah. <laughs> you're just you're yeah. dropping a little bit in, also, right? Yeah. yeah. Also, I guess we would have to take into consideration the maturity of the child as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Where they are and what kind of relationship you already have established with the child. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of parents that, right. just like Omar mentioned, there's so many influences out there. We're talking about peers. We're talking about social media, media, etc. Sometimes it's easy for parents to feel that they're in the bottom of the mix of influencers. Yeah, yeah. But we know and research says that parents still are the biggest influence on their child's life. So how do we empower those parents listening that might feel like, well, I don't know if my child's going to listen to me because the influence of their friends or of the phone or et cetera is higher than my influence. You said so much that's so important there. And I, I think what every parent senses if they're not very aware of is, and this is normal, but as the child grows, the influences shift further and further away from you into mm -hmm. the peer system, right? And in fact, one of the things, uh, you know, I think parents are the biggest influence also. But as you get kids into teenage dumb and, and they're in all this rush of life and all of what that means, one of the things that the parent can do that I think is most effective is not only you're trying to hang on to whatever great, hopefully a really good relationship with them, but you also can try to look for any ways you can to grease the path toward certain friends. Since the friends are becoming a really big influence in the teenage years, what you might have influence on as a parent is which friends you make it a little easier to be around, mm -hmm. to be seen. Oh, you know, you, oh, you want to, yeah, let me, I think you could go over there Friday night, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I don't know if we can make that work, you know. Yeah. With, uh, you know, you could just kind of, that's, Navigate that's that, yeah. tricky. I do think, by the way, a really good sign for a parent, you're doing well as a parent. If you sense that you're sort of losing influence with the teen to their peer group, but when they're distressed, when they're mm -hmm. worried, when they're concerned, they somehow move back close to you. That says all kinds of great things about your relationship. So you certainly want to be aware. A teenager's going to have some angst about some stuff, right? Another great tip for a parent, I think, is anything else you do, when you have that moment where you can tell your kid was getting a little closer to you, could even be just like 
snuggling up by you on the couch and they haven't, you know, and they're 14 and they haven't done this in like two years. Or you can tell they're a little distressed and they kind of tell you just a little bit about it. You know, being cool and being safe about that for them is one of the most powerful things you can do because that's the good stuff. That's like the best stuff. That's awesome. That's validating. I have a 13 year old and yes, when she's distressed, she comes to mom. So thank you. (laughs) That's pretty great. Yeah. Amazing information. Thank you so much, doctor. So we're going to go ahead and move forward and dive into our next scenario. Great. Even Hollywood has jumped on this one. Mm -hmm. Friends with benefits. OMG. Yes. Sounds like this. Okay, I'll see you later. When do you think? I don't know. Probably sometime Sunday. I'll be in the neighborhood with friends. I can call you up when we finish. (laughs) Right. Well, what are you doing now? You want to go catch a movie? Uh, no thanks. I've seen everything in theaters I, I want to see. We could rent something and stay in. Nah, no thanks. I try to do no screen Saturdays. See, I dig that. I should do that. You're a good thinker. Well, you're the one that invents new flavors of cookies, so I think you're the good thinker. It's pretty easy. These days, anything can be a cookie flavor. On Monday, we pitched fried chicken cookies. Oh my god, that's disgusting. Well, I guess I was just saying I was looking to hang out. Hang out? Out there? Yeah, hang out in the world, around other people. Yeah, I don't know. So this is the next step conversation. Bum bum. Okay, I thought you would think that was funny. (laughs) I mean, well, look, to be honest, this... This is the step I want to be on. I don't want to go up or down. Well, Oscar, I like you. I think about you. Don't you think about me? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's rare for me to feel like this, and I think you like me too. Of course I do. You're smart, funny, very sexy. Huh. What? Sounds like the last part is the part that you're the most into. No, I mean, look, I like you too, but I'm not really looking for anything serious right now. It doesn't have to be serious. I'm just trying to be around you more. We've been doing this already for like two months. Look, when we met, you said you weren't looking to start anything. I mean, I just got out of a relationship. You just moved here. Look, it's fine. If you don't want to do it, it's cool. Uh, listen, I, I no, just... No, go on. Sandra, come on, don't be like... No, I'm not anything. Don't worry. So I'll call you? Yeah, try that. <laughs> okay. Bye. <sighs> okay, wow. Seems like one side's starting to get... Uh emotionally sentimentally attached uh so we just heard oscar and sandra in a very awkward situation each seems to have their own understanding of the type of relationships they have dr stanley in your blogs you use a term that relates to this which you call a relationship reading dyslexia can you (laughs) (laughs) we made him smile we made him smile i forgot about that that was a fun term yeah relationship reading dyslexia can you expand on this please yeah so i think a lot of people have trouble reading clearly what's actually right in front of them about Mm -hmm. the relationship. And part of the trouble, some of the trouble is people misunderstand what are actual signals of commitment and what's not 
So we could talk about that. Let me mm-hmm. just put that on the table. And the other part is this generation really is swimming in a sea of ambiguity in terms of the romantic relationships. And, and I think that it feels safe because people have seen a, a ton of divorce. And even now, it's, you know, the divorce rates actually come down. It's families never even sort of becoming stable as a family in the first place. Parents, uh, you know, there's a child, but the parents aren't really raising the child together. A lot of instability in a lot of ways. And I think part of what's happened is people really fear now to make it clear that they want to be in a relationship or make it clear to somebody that they want to be in a relationship with them. It's safer to not say what you really want until you're way down the line in a relationship where you're never going to get what you wanted, which is the relationship that Sandra might be having with Oscar. So the fear, and what she did, she did something that's very hard to do now, is she took the risk to force a DTR, you know, define the relationship Mm -hmm. talk, you know, or she pushed for that, and you know he called it, or she called it, I don't know, next step conversation. But think of how much risk that took for her to say that, because she's actually really being vulnerable mm-hmm. and saying, "I would like us to take a step up in commitment." Mm-hmm. That's what being out in public, I and mean, that's what that means when she says that, right? Exactly. Is yeah. let's be letting other people know that we're a thing, and he doesn't want to. So good for her, mm-hmm. but that's a scary moment, and it's probably not going the way she wanted it to. Now, doctor, shouldn't we then be teaching our kids how to define or when to define a relationship early on so that they don't have to go through this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know I have little ones still, but I remember, you know, Daniel being seven, saying that his uh, next door neighbor, he was going to travel around the world with her when he grew up, you know, and I said, what does that mean? You know, he was already thinking he's going to go and travel to the pyramids of Egypt with her. So I guess it could start very early. (laughs) I had to have a conversation with him. I was like, okay, let's talk about commitment. So he's little, but I could foresee that even as he grows up, that we could say, you know, what does commitment look like? How do you know when someone is really invested Mm -hmm. and when someone is, for lack of a better word, you know, a jerk, you know, or a jerkette, they're just in it to play a game. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some warning signs. And I think parents know what those warning signs are. A lot of parents can see it, can smell it. And I think we can trust our intuition and be able to speak a little bit of truth into that as well. And I think some of the truth that you can speak into that I think it's tremendously confusing for people, especially in this day and age, with the chemistry, with the ambiguity, with everything we're talking about, that people mistake attraction, like yeah. in this case, physical attraction. I mean, he wants to be with her in a certain way, right? But people so easily mistake attraction for commitment or attachment, you know, some things that could really develop into something that lasts. And by the way, I think her conversation, it did not end the way she wanted it to go, but it's really great that it At least happened. she got a definition. Exactly. Right. She knows now. What's going on. And you can hear it in her voice. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people are like nibbling around the edge of that conversation and they're kind of getting the answer, but they're still really not wanting to see it. And I think that's another thing we could coach our kids to, to have those types of conversations that even though it might be a risk, if you are unsure, being able to be able to define it and know what's going on is better than just being an ambiguity. And that's something that we can definitely also teach and coach our kids to do is have critical conversations. It's a great way to put it, mm-hmm. critical conversations where you sort of define what the moment is and to teach them that, you know, people don't date now. So you don't, it's like, I don't even know what the language is to use these days, but you know, you got two people that are going to hang out Friday night. Mm-hmm. They don't 
say it's a date now because mm-hmm. date's like too scary of a concept for, for a lot of people. Hang it out. depends on the kid and depends on the, you know, what the parents are allowing and all this kind of stuff. But this kind of discussion is, it takes some skill and it takes some guts. So parents being able to have other discussions with a child in life that sort of model, you know, this is kind of a bit of a tough discussion, but we should have it. You're actually teaching them that there's a lot of moments in life. At the same time, in terms of like, a young person getting to know another young person, whatever's going to be consistent with how that works in that family and that culture. You're not looking for people to bring up wanting to have a child with this per- a person or how big a family are we going to have like the first time they have a serious talk. <laughs> right. That's not the time. It's not waiting a super long time to start mm-hmm. having talks also about yeah. just what she wants. She wants the relationship to be more public. And she's getting a ton of information right now about him not being committed to her at all. And she got it and she left. She got it. She got yeah, it. and she suspected also that it was probably a sexual thing with him. Just yeah. the way that he kind of emphasized mm-hmm. that yeah. she was very sexy. Okay, so uh, we're going to pick on you, Dr. Stanley, again. Uh, Go for it. Recently, <laughs> you conducted a study about... Can somebody help me with this word, please? Asymmetrically committed Asymmetrically relationships. committed relationships. Thank you. I wanted, I wanted it to sound correctly. Um, what are they and what are the risks people take when getting involved in such a relationship? Thank you, Beto, by the way. So I love the word asymmetrical, So, but I could have just said unequally committed relationships. <laughs> yeah. Make her job easier, please. Uh, you know, I'm a research geek. You know, it's got to have like a, got it. That a scientific approach, right? $10 word for a $2 concept, right? Got it. Got so, it. But that's what it's about. And, and the point being, and this is an extension of the ambiguity part, that because things are so unclear and, you know, Years ago, there were more steps and stages. There were sort of, I mean, I don't know in the U.S. how strong we ever had any kind of like true courtship models, but there were sort of steps and stages and things Mm -hmm. that sort of you kind of knew what was next. And those steps and stages had built in clarity about advancements and commitment. People don't have that anymore. And I think one of the consequences of all the ambiguity is that makes it much easier now to be in a relationship like the one we just heard, mm-hmm. where there is an unequal level of commitment between the partners. It's easier for those to happen. It's easier for those to go on for a while because the older systems, while they had their problems, the older systems wouldn't allow that because even just the idea, you'd gone on a couple dates. In my day, that was the guy freaking out calling the girl up and asking her out Mm -hmm. like in terror and then she's deciding and then there's a date and then you like go out for a couple of dates if you really liked each other pretty soon somebody said how about we go steady Mm -hmm. sure Mm-hmm. That's not like a complex conversation because the going steady idea conveyed all the information about symmetry. You know, it, it mm-hmm. means that we're both on the same page. It means that this is mutual and it means that it's public. And one of the things I like to tell young people and parents could look for the moment or the way to tell a teenager is private declarations don't mean nearly as much as public declarations. Mm -hmm. She was asking for exactly the right thing. I want to be public about our relationship. And then she got a lot of information because that's exactly what he doesn't want to be because that means he has to kind of step it up and actually Mm -hmm. be committed or else you wouldn't do that. He doesn't want to actually tell his friends. Yeah. True commitment. What is true commitment? What can we teach our kids, teens, young adults, 
what can they look for in a relationship that means this is true commitment? It's not ambiguous. That's a great question. So I think there's a lot of definitions and there's a lot of things we measure when you think about commitment. But in terms of the nature of what you're asking right now, true commitment, it's beyond infatuation. It's its committed love. It's mm-hmm. really, let's roll it forward a bit to like somebody's thinking about somebody for marriage. What you'd want to see in a strong and mutual way that would be true commitment is two people, so there's the mutual, who really each feel strongly, I want a future with you. I want an identity with you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And I don't mean like one's always sacrificing and the other one isn't. I mean like we're each willing to give for each other. We're going to like balance some priorities. We're going to struggle. But I want a future with you and you want a future with me. And I'm willing to do some things in my life to make that work. That's true commitment. What we model to our kids is obviously speaks louder than words. Yeah, I think if the kids actually witness the couple and and their parents that they're loving each other and that they're demonstrating that sacrificially, that that's going to speak louder than words. Mm. And I think some of the fear and the ambiguity also comes from the experience of having the fight and just none of that true love. And so then kids are like, I don't want that to happen in my life. And they might not necessarily aspire for more, but when they are able to see and witness what a beautiful covenant can look like. Exactly then they're going to want that and they're going to covet that. And so I think a lot of it is the cultural script also that's embedded when you have so many marriages that have ended in dissolution. It's almost a wave that's picked up and that animosity against it. And so you almost now today, educators like Dr. Scott Scanley and even Family Bridges, we're in the business of branding marriage again because the culture doesn't believe it's a good thing because so many hasn't adopted those steady moments, you know, that are very clear and depicted and you just get married. Back in the day, you see, you see videos and sitcoms of the, you know, I don't know, the fifties and sixties and, you know, it was assumed you're going to get married. That's the next step. Not now. Yeah. It was so culturally expected and normal. And then people were sort of looking for certain things. And I love what you said, by the way, because we haven't really said this yet, that we've talked fair amount so far about looking for these moments to like say a little bit of something Mm -hmm. to your child. But the rest of their life and learning with you is watching what you do. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. watching how you treat each other. It's watching, do they see commitment in your life? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it can look different ways. Not every couple's going to be the same. But can they see how that looks and how that works? Because I certainly believe, and it's implied in everything you just said, that's the biggest teaching moment you have, which also then means that this is a bigger challenge, but one that people should struggle with and think about. So if they're, maybe they're divorced, Mm -hmm. maybe they have a child and they never married and they're a single parent, or it's a step family situation. So what do you, what are your opportunities now? And the biggest thing that we can do with any of that is to be thoughtful, to not just sort of let it slide, but to think it through and make some decisions about, well, what can I model for my kid that would be real? Not that we're going to fake something, but what can we really do that would show them some commitment? Okay, so another avenue of great coaching is through example. So we're going to move forward. Let's listen to our last skit. This is called A Tell of Two Proposals. Hmm. I love Italian ice. Yeah, long line worth the wait. Ooh, look, a robin. No, that, it's a ketchup bird. Actually, (laughs) fun fact. Wow. Just wow. Yeah. It's so pretty out here. It's like cartoon fairy tale pretty out here. Yeah. 
you know, this is probably my all-time favorite park. Yeah, I mean, the art, the trees, the flowers in the gardens, it's just so beautiful. Not to mention, it's it's where we had uh, our first kiss. And what a surprise. I mean, you remember um, the, the weeping willow, but mm-hmm. it's not weeping. It's uh, chuckling. Right. <laughs> this is our chuckling willow. So, you know, this this place is very special. Yeah, it is very special. And I love you. And I love you. Wait, wait, what are you what are you doing on one knee? Well, what are you doing on one knee? Well, I think it's obvious. Yeah, I think it's obvious, too. <laughs> it, it, it's the guy's job to propose. It's 2017, Carl. Wait. Wait, what's that? Oh, my God. Is that my mom playing guitar? Yeah, she's been taking lessons so that she could play your favorite song during this proposal. Mom! Oh, my God! I'm so happy for you both! Wow, you're really good at guitar! I'm rocking out! (laughs) Wow, is Dad here? Yup! Oh, my gosh! I know! You guys flew all the way from Texas! We sure did! Okay, um, I I gotta get back to this. Sure, sure, we'll talk later. Okay, talk to you soon. Wait, you flew in my parents? I flew in your parents. I mean, they're all waiting at Maroney's. Oh my gosh, Maroney's? Yeah, I I rented out the whole rooftop so we could celebrate. (laughs) That was gutsy. What if I said no? Um, well, just detective reasoning. Uh, It seems like you want to get married. I mean, you're on one knee, Christina. Well, same could be said for you. So wait, what do you say? What about you? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow, that was pretty cool. So we just heard a couple that seems to be in sync. We don't know a lot about their background as a couple, but we do know that it seems like they want to spend the rest of their lives together. Will this be a healthy example of deciding versus sliding into a marriage, doctor? It sure sounds like that to me because it's very clear that they've each thought about it. Mm -hmm. There's a very intentional moment. In fact, that's sort of the the humorous part of this example, right? Is that usually one person's maybe, they could both be often thinking the same thing, but they may also both be thinking that they're waiting for the other one to like be clear. (laughs) Uh, So in this case, they're sort of doubling down on, they both sort of saw this location as the moment and the place and they're both going for it. That means they both had already internally decided and I think his deduction is pretty correct that she's <laughs> you know she's gonna say yes because she's gonna ask you so I mean I think that's pretty cool because you have a lot of tensionality there's a clear decision and it's not like and I think there's a lot of couples that have a different kind of process now where so let's say maybe they're you know been living together for a couple of years the conversations sometimes these days sound a little bit more like, oh, what do you think? Should we get married? Which is almost like, well, should we get married or break up? I mean, is we're going to do the next thing or not? As opposed to it being something that seems more special and intentional, which is what they have. Aww. More defined. Aww. (laughs) More defined, exactly. More defined. Well, that was a great conversation. Three tips, three tips that we can provide parents who are listening. What's the takeaway from today's conversation? I think take the moments that are within your reach, whether it's the car that you're listening to the love song, you know, the TV show or the movie, and take that opportunity when your children are ready, obviously, age appropriately, and speak to them at their level Mm -hmm. in steps instead of sitting them and having the talk. 
I don't know what to add to that. I mean, all three, I mean, those, <laughs> the, the key points are right there. You know, it's, it's the little bits. It's not the big polo. I'm going to stop this car. We're going to pull it to the side <laughs> of the road right now. You know, you're, you're looking for the little moment to throw something in there. And then sometimes those moments turn into a much bigger thing, whether it's really even clear to you how that worked or not. If a parent's just genuinely trying to do those things in their own way, they're mm-hmm. not going to be perfect. They're going to blow it. In some moments, they're going to kind of overdo it. Uh, in other moments, they're going to underdo it. But if you're making genuine attempts to just sort of be in there and connected, overall, your child's going to read that as you love them and you care about what's going to happen in their future. And that just reaps all kinds of rewards in life. Beautiful. Awesome. So thank you both for sharing your great research-based and practical information. Dr. Stanley, where can people find you and uh, keep up with your blogs? Thank you. Uh, People can get to a whole lot of stuff about what I do and and the team I work with at PrEP. If they just remember the blog, uh, sliding versus deciding, Mm -hmm. if they Google that word, it's going to just pop up all sorts of stuff, including my blog. From there, they can read all kinds of articles about commitment and unequal commitment and cohabitation and all these different things. And they can get to other links to the things we do at PrEP to to provide materials to help people in their relationships. Great. Thank you. And very interesting information, I'll tell you, because I read a couple of them and I'm going to go back. (laughs) Great. Great information. That was, is it true love as part of the Struggle is Real Relationship Talk? All the way from NARMI. Thank you for being with us. And we remind you to download the Struggle is Real app to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. That's right. Like the next one, unpacking the unmentionables, the sex, drugs, and pornography talk with special guest Richard Albertson. That's right. Additional supporting resources are also available on our Family Bridges app. Plus, you can find blogs, tips, and more on social media using the hashtag TheStruggleIsReal or hashtag TSIR. Thanks for sticking around. I am Omar Ramos. And I'm Veronica Avila. Till next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com.